uh, the Lord gave us an assignment in our corporate prayer service Friday night to pray as married couples and as singles, find a prayer partner and pray 30 minutes a day. Um, it's an easy assignment if you're dedicated. For some folks, that's nothing. That's like saying, you know, eat three meals a day. No problem. I can pray 30 minutes a day. For others, I would dare say some of us have already forgotten or failed to pray 30 minutes since Friday. And so I just, sometimes you need this mental motivation. What if the Lord comes and supernaturally visits us in a service in a month or two, and he speaks to me and says, only lay hands on those that have prayed 30 minutes a day since you gave the assignment? Or he has a supernatural word and says, promotion is for those who have obeyed the word and prayed. How many of you would already be disqualified? Like Brother Jeff had a word from God in that corporate prayer service. He said he heard the Lord say, this church is a driven church and they're easy to drive. They're just not self-driven. And then Jeff said in his heart, we're about to get an assignment. And then I said in the service, I have an assignment for us. <laughs> that makes me feel awesome. Like I'm pretty spiritual. <laughs> when you know the Holy Spirit, it really is not hard to hear from him. But since that seems to be our, our assignment, I want to teach on prayer to motivate us and encourage us because sometimes we do get to where we walk by sight and it feels like nothing's changing. And uh, is it, you know, your heart's saying, is anything going to change? Is anything going to change? And if you'll recall, the thing that the Lord spoke to us to pray about 30 minutes is that thing we need to change. And so maybe it's that thing you need healing for. It may be it's that thing you regret. Listen, I'm not for burying regrets. I'm for confronting them. Because if you don't deal with regret now, it's just going to smolder in your soul and you're probably going to sulk and not fix the thing that caused you to do something that you regret. So I'm, there's a balance, but listen to me. I'm not of the mindset of just forgetting and moving on. I want to address the issue. I want to figure out what's happened, what's wrong, where are we at? I want to figure out why did it fail? If, if you can talk about it, you've got victory over it. If you can't talk about it, it still has you. Now, to talk about it doesn't mean we're going to hand you the microphone and tell us what you regret. That's not what I'm talking about. But can you sit there and tell maybe in a personal conversation, you know, I did this once, or I've been addicted to this, or I really struggle with this, and I am ashamed of it, but bless God, I am killing that thing. I'm conquering it. I'm attacking it, and I am not leaving it alone. Or do we just say, yeah, I've got some regrets, but you can't change it now and just move on like a fool. Can't change it now. Well, you should. Because if you've got something you regret chances are you still have those attitudes and those behavior patterns in you, which is why you did the thing you regret. And if you haven't changed that, you're going to do it again in a different way. So I understand there's a popular teaching and it's rooted in the Bible that just forget those things that are behind and press on. But there's also a lot of scripture about bringing to remembrance. If you have the victory over it, forget it and move on. But if you keep tripping up in the same thing and you've never expressly dealt with it, you don't get to move on. So maybe that's your deal. Like I, I think a lot of folks have regrets in their marriage. Okay, talk about that with your spouse. What do we regret in our marriage? Or we have regrets in our parenting. Let's talk about what we regret in our parenting. Not to thumb wounds, but to figure out what is it? How did that happen? Was it laziness? Because if, if you regret something that was brought about by laziness, chances are you're still lazy. 
So we're not looking for the shame to thumb it. We're looking at the shame to diagnose the causality. And that's why I am a proponent. Somebody's going to say they disagree with me because they just want to just bury it. In my former career as a geologist, anytime we had a sinkhole, we didn't just fill it full of dirt. That's the worst thing you can do with a sinkhole. Because that sinkhole goes somewhere underground that has a void. It's a lung system. And you can bury it, and it will look nice for about half a season, and then it'll rain, and that, that void will suck down, and it'll pull even more, and you'll have a bigger problem. So anytime we had to fix a sinkhole, the first thing we'd do is come in there, drill around it, figure out what the scope of the sinkhole was and what the subsurface terrain was. We might do microgravity. We might do resistivity and get a layout. And then you know what we did? We got in track hose, and we dug the hole even bigger. So that way we could expose the rock completely. And then you start pouring in riprap big rock, and then you lay down geotextile, and then you put more rock and more geotextile, and then you finally walk it all back, and then you put a clay cap over it. In order to fix it, you got to go dig at it deeper. Now, our religious southern is forgive and forget. Just smooth over, act like you're just la, 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 never, never happen, time and distance. Pastor Vaughn taught us time and distance won't separate you from sin. So I don't want us to take the mindset, well, can't change it now. No, you can't, but you need to change you now. If you regret your career decisions, you can't change how many jobs you quit, but you can go back and figure out why were you such a quitter and fix that. Maybe you raised your kids to be dinglings. You can't change that. Now they're dinglings. Only God can disciple them and a good pastor or discipler. But what you can do is go back and think how, what was so broken in me that I raised dinglings and fix that because chances are you're still a dingling maker. Boy, I really regret how we wasted money on that blank. Okay, well, you can't get that money back, but you can go troubleshoot you to figure out why you wasted money the way that you did. So I'm totally against this. Oh, you know, just as far as the east is from the west, that's how how far I've removed your sins from you. Yeah, when you repent and change. But until you've truly repented and changed and gone the other way, they're not removed from you. You're still struggling with them. And most of what we repent for anyway is just the fruit It's the low-hanging fruit. It's the bad fruit. You can repent of bad fruit all day long, but you never did anything about the tree. And until we resolve the tree, the tree of discontentment, the tree of lust, the tree of anger, the tree of unreasonable expectations, the tree of shame, you're going to just produce different kinds of fruit that are all going to be rotten. So maybe what you need to pray about is you want to change some regrets and figure out what the source of those regrets. And that might be worthwhile. This might be another just pastoral assignment in your marriage Talk with your spouse, especially those of you that are older, but even for you younger married folks, what are your regrets? Can you see yourself already beginning to create regrets? Because for those of you that are married less than two or three years, you may not have any regrets, but somewhere between two and three years of marriage and 15 and 20, you'll develop some. And regrets aren't developed overnight in a marriage but they develop little by little. So maybe you figure out if you've been married two or three years, can you see anything you're going to start to regret if it grows any bigger? 
Dads have to always adjust their career so they don't neglect kids because they're going to grow up and regret, I wish I would have worked less and spent more time playing Barbie or G.I. Joe with my kids. I have to constantly ebb and flow pastoring now that I'm in an intense book writing season. I have to ebb and flow because things have to get done, but my kids need attention. But I can't give all my kids the attention and neglect the church. It's a constant work and a struggle. God's grace is there to keep us balanced. It ebbs and flows. So maybe you've been married 10 or 15 years. Before you get to be 25 and 30 years married, start discussing what are your regrets. And and then what are you going to do to fix it? In your marriage, because we're fixing marriages, what do you regret? I tell you something that's hard for me to pray right now, but I have to pray it. I'm praying that my kids have a better marriage than I do. And that makes me a little jealous because I want an awesome marriage and I got a great marriage. And if my kids have a better one than I've got, well, that's awesome. But I don't want them to have a better one than me. I want to have a better one. So it's a self-perpetuating movement towards better. Not this, well, (laughs) God sent me back here and I'm still trying to figure out how to get out of Cookville. (laughs) Eventually I'll either convert the whole region or it'll vomit me out and I'll be free at last. But I can't stay the same and I don't want my marriage to stay the same. So figure out what you regret in your marriage. What do you regret about your intimacy or lack thereof? What do you regret about your time together? What do you regret? What do you wish you would have done more and start doing it now? So maybe what we're praying about is regrets. Maybe it's weaknesses. These are things we have to discuss. The Bible says that the weak say, I am strong. In Joel, it says, let the weak get a weapon and declare they're strong and ready in one translation. So where are you weak at? Where do you fail at? These are things we're praying in this prayer assignment because the Lord wants us to be different come January 1st. So that's why it's a four-month prayer assignment. 30 minutes a day. Man, 30 minutes a day, you're going to change something, even if it isn't just hunger for God. 30 minutes a day is better than the 30 minutes you weren't doing a day. What about failures? Are you still ashamed of your failures? Praying about those things will fix it quick. You can't bury this thing. When, when ignorant people try to fix a sinkhole, they just throw more junk in it, and they kind of build the dirt up a little bit. That'll be better, and it's just going to fall back out. You can't fix anything by burying it. You have to expose it in the light of God's Word. You've got to get to the root of it. If you ever do therapy, the reason therapy works is because that therapist gets you to talk about stuff and gets you to bring stuff to the surface so that you're not afraid of it anymore. Some of us are still paralyzed by fear of nothing, but it's fear. But until you go and face the thing and realize there's nothing there, it's going to own you. And it really is a pretty lame thing to be crippled by something that doesn't even exist. Maybe you need to beat lack. Maybe that's what you're praying towards. Either way, or regardless of what your situation is, God wants us to be praying for the next four months, 30 minutes a day, as husband and wife, to fix whatever is crippling us. Figure out what that is. You ought to be able to, I'm not going to do this, but if I interviewed you, give me three things you're praying about. You ought to have seven because you know what you need to fix. And when you're fixing them, you're not embarrassed to talk about them. 
because you know where you're at. It's coming along. You're not finished with it yet, but you don't need to be finished with it yet. You're halfway through the process, and you're proud of your accomplishment. That foundation's laid. We're framing up the house. Uh, roof's going up next week. Roof can't go up yet. Shingles aren't even here yet, but it's coming. You, you get excited. There's a confidence that comes making progress. But when you don't pray every day, no progress is guaranteed. And here's where we deceive ourselves as Christians. We come to church and we think that equals progress. But all this is is a docking station for you, a battery. But if you never leave here and discharge what we train you in, you are wasted potential energy. If you don't go home and put this energy to use in prayer and study and confessing the word and doing whatever needs to be done, spending more time with your kids or budgeting your, your notebook or your, your checkbook or whatever God deals with you on, then this is deception. Coming to church will deceive you because you hear the word and hear the word and hear the word and don't ever do it. Now, we teach a lot around here, and it may be don't do much with it. So the more we teach, the more we deceive ourselves because we are not acting on what we're learning. That's why maybe this 30-minute prayer assignment is one way we can vent some of our deception and get back into a reality. And some of us, we're just so lazy, myself included, we need that kind of assignment, a 30-minute checkpoint. Anybody can do 30 minutes. We had a bunch of hours in a day before social media was invented, before smartphones were handed to us and made us a bunch of fools. And we spend more than 30 minutes a day eating at each meal. For you wives, you know you spend way more than 30 minutes a meal cooking it. I feel so sorry for wives because I, I, well, anybody that cooks, you sit there, you got a meal prep, then you got a grocery shop, then you got to bring it home. This is assuming it's not like a microwave stover's, you know, hungry, hungry man. <laughs> if you're eating healthy, you're cutting up vegetables, you're sauteing them, you're stewing them, you're putting it all together. I mean, it may take you an hour to fix a good dinner, and then the family scarfs it down in 15, 10. If you're a weirdo, 35. Some people just take a long time to eat. <laughs> yeah. We're spending more time eating than we are talking to God. So what I want to give you tonight is some, just a reminder of some prayer truths to build your faith and excite you to pray. It is very easy to get into the mindset that prayer is boring and prayer changes nothing. And therefore, we don't pray. But here's one thing for sure. If nothing's changing in your life, it's because you're not praying. And prayer takes, it's like energy. It's got to build a momentum. And once you get that thing going like a locomotive, you watch out. Nothing wins when the locomotive is coming. Nothing but maybe a mountain and a rock collapse. But we're not dealing with that. We, we don't run into mountains. We speak to them. Cows don't stand a chance. School buses, busloads of nuns, they don't stand a chance. Tankers full of gasoline, all that train just hits it. Train always wins. But a, 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 sta a static train just sitting on the tracks, just woo woo, doing nothing, loses every time. Full of so much hot air, just blowing steam. Woo woo. Yeah, still going nowhere. Man, you got to actually get on those tracks and start moving, and that takes prayer.
So let me give you a couple notes tonight. Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. So if it changes everything, then no matter what you need change, prayer will change it. Big problems take big prayer. Little problems take little prayer. But prayer changes everything. We believe that, right? Yeah, we get it. Prayer changes everything. But sometimes it takes more prayer than others. Even the Lord Jesus Christ had to pray on more than one occasion, more than once, to get somebody healed. Now what does that say when the Son of God, the Word made flesh, he has to pray twice for a man just to get his eyes fixed. That's God. You think Jesus got all of his prayers answered? Yeah. But apparently that time it took two rounds of prayer. That's the incarnate word, perfect, sinless, spirit without measure. He had to pray for a man twice for the healing of his eyesight to be fully restored. And if we're denominational, we prayed for a week and it must not be the will of God because we didn't see it happen. That's ignorance. How long are you willing to pray? Pastor Okwokwo said, we have to learn to pray till things change. If it hasn't changed, you don't quit praying because you and your faith and your mouth and the word has authority over everything that is created and visible. Now, granted, we know that there are rules and laws to this. We have to pray in line with God's word. There's no sense requesting something God's word doesn't give us permission. And there's no sense in speaking to something that's just foolish. But if it's in the word of God, God wants us to have it. All of his promises are yes and amen. That means if you take a promise back to God, you say, Lord, you said, he'll say yes and amen. He'll say yes, amen just means so be it. So we built all of our prayers on the Word of God. We know that. That's basic Christianity. If God's Word says it, He wants us to have it, and therefore we can claim it. That offends people. But if the Word of God says, My beloved, I, I wish that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers, then is that not the will of God for us to prosper? And prosper doesn't mean just money. It means the good path, the easy road is what it means in the Greek. It's a uh, Greek word picture. I desire that your life prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's the Holy Ghost speaking through the Apostle John. His desire is that we prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. So we see three things there. Number one, God wants us healthy. God wants our life to be easier because that's what it means to prosper. I don't know why folks want to argue against that. Who's stupid enough to pray, Lord, make my life harder? Anybody? Anybody? Even those folks predestined don't pray that way. They don't pray much, period. I may beat up on Calvinism a little bit tonight because I have to take a hard stand on the authority of the believer because that's the root of prayer. One thing I've noticed about Calvinists in general, they have next to no doctrine on prayer and they have next to no doctrine on demonology. Because depending on how high you fly your flag in the winds of predestination, hyper-sovereignty and Calvinism, what's the point of any of it? God's in control of everything, even demons, which I believe is a heresy. Amen. So I may punch on them a little bit because they're not here to defend themselves, you know. They weren't destined to be here tonight. <laughs> And by, by them, I just mean Calvinists out there. But anytime I teach on this, you, you can feel the demons press back. I've never known a Calvinist to cast out a demon. 
because they don't walk in authority. I, you don't go to Presbyterian churches and see demons manifest. You don't go to Calvinist revivals and see demons manifest. But you do go to charismatic churches, and you do go to Pentecostal churches, and you do go to Word of Faith churches, and you see demons manifest. And there's a difference, and there's a reason why. Because one believes in dominion and authority of the believer, and the other says God's will be done, God's will be done. And therefore, they are just, they're just kind of, que sera, sera, I just am tossed and driven to the winds of sovereignty. So if the demon comes out, God wants it to. If the demon doesn't come out, it's because God doesn't want it to. But what about Jesus saying, these signs shall follow those that believe. So wherever I go, they follow me. In my name, first sign is they cast out devils. So we're going to deal with authority tonight. So number two, just no real number. So if I do two, then I go J, then I go alpha. So what? Number two, prayer is an oration. If you're not speaking, you're not praying. I'll debate this with anybody anywhere. Prayer is never mental. Prayer is never mental. Prayer is an oration. Both the Hebrew and the Greek word say as much. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he prayed, he said. Every time Jesus prayed, you can look at it. It says, and as he prayed, he said. Even the prayer in the garden, when there was nobody to hear it, it says, and he going a, a, a few paces further, fell down and said, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Prayer must be spoken. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, We having the same spirit of faith, believe and therefore speak. Speak. This is the other thing that ruffles feathers of folks who don't get authority and they just want to say, Que sera, sera. We have power in our words. Remember, the, the, the Jews said, With his word he casts out spirits. With his word. We have power in our words because that's dominion. That's authority. Prayer is an oration. Don't think. Speak. Speak. And you'll know the devil has you when you start getting quieter and quieter and quieter. We've all noticed when we get discouraged and depressed, we get quiet. And you take inventory and you think, when's the last time I said, thank you, Jesus? When's the last time I said, Lord, I praise you? Uh, you have to think, well, Lord, when's the last time I said, I, I praise you and I give you glory and honor and thank you? When's the last time I said, hallelujah? You'll find that when you get depressed, it's been a couple days. So if you'll just keep your mouth praising God and giving thanks and praying orally, Otherwise, it's just thinking. And Jesus said, speak to the mountain, not think to the mountain. Speak to the sycamine tree. Don't think to the sycamine tree. It's not a battle of the... Speak. You'll find if you'll speak the word and pray the word, depression can't stay around you. It's a spirit. Remember even that, even Jairus' daughter, even Jairus said of his daughter, Lord, speak the word only. The centurion said, speak. Actually, Jairus said, come and lay hands. The centurion said, speak the word only. My servant shall be healed. Just speak. Just speak the word. Jesus said, everything uh, you've seen me do, I want you to do. These signs shall follow you. So we speak. That's prayer. It sure is better than sitting quiet and letting the enemy tell you he's going to be successful with giving you more of what your life has already experienced. You got to at least sometime say, shut up, shut up, take that smack and go somewhere else. 
Are you going to sit there and let that spirit just talk to you? Nobody loves you. Nobody likes you. You're never going anywhere. You're going to be like your mama. Your kids are going to be like your daddy. You're going to be like this region. You're never going to get a job. You're never going to get a man. You're never going to get a wife. You can sit there and let that just talk to you. You can say, shut up and let me declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. You got to stir yourself up because these spirits, they move in like a fog and they slowly rest upon you and you don't even recognize where the thoughts stopped being yours and started being the enemies. And before long, your brain's just slowly in phase. It's almost like you get sea legs, if you know that expression. If, you've, if you're a landlubber and you get on a boat, you become real obvious that you're on a boat. This is you when you have peace with God and you get into the demon realm and you're like, man, this is crazy. Man, this is crazy. But you get on that boat with sailors and they are in sync with it. So when you get around crazy people, they think they're normal. But you stay on a boat long enough, you get your sea legs and standing on stable soil feels weird to you. And this is one of the hardest things I do as a pastor is I've got land legs, you're crazy, you've got sea legs, and I have to teach you to stop thinking like an idiot. Yes. Because you get on dry land, you're like, it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right to me. It's because you're crazy. So you've got to trust somebody more than you because you're crazy. Trust me, this is dry land. Are you sure? Pretty sure. That's the beach. That's a rock. That's dry land. That's the ocean. You just came off the crazy boat. This is dry land. I know it feels weird to you. Chill out. You'll get used to it. We've all been there on a boat and then gone and laid in bed that night and you just kind of rocked all night long and you just had to touch the bed and look, I'm not out in the sea. I've just got an equilibrium. You speak to these things and you tell your mind to shut up. And I know I've never said this before, but let me say it for the first time tonight. Get away from stupid people. Get away from sea drunk people. Get away from people that toss to and fro. Move away from mama. Move away from daddy. Move away from your cousin. Move away from those coworkers. Find a better job or at least one that without crazy people if you're drunk in your mind. I can't help you when you keep drilling holes in your bucket. And the fact that we're talking about it again means somebody likes holes in their bucket. Maybe four months of prayer, you'll finally see things for yourself. So speak. Tell this stuff to shut up. Tell the vain imaginations to shut up. Tell the crazy thoughts to shut up. Whatever it is that doesn't line up with the word, tell it to shut up. Amen. Amen. Being in Pittsburgh, I told my wife this. I said, <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting. I was born in Pittsburgh. I actually drove past the hospital I was born at in my Uber, which was pretty cool to say, hey, that's, the, that's what my mama said. I was born at that hospital 45 years ago. I was expecting like this dump of a rust belt, nasty armpit of a city. And where I was at was across the street from Carnegie Mellon. So I'm right downtown with five universities. And it's just like college kids everywhere. I mean, like ants. It's the safest city I've ever felt in my whole life. I walked everywhere. I walked a couple miles total. And uh, so I was walking to the synagogue, you know, shalom, and I was going to go check this thing out. 
And I had all of a sudden this thing, this, this thought crossed my mind. I'm going to the synagogue. I've actually, I was on the phone with AJ, had my AirPod in. And all of a sudden, this thought comes across my mind. I'm going to have sex with as many of these girls as I possibly can. And I'm just going, you can go to hell. You can go to hell. What? What kind of thought is that? That's a college mindset. That's a college mindset. Five universities right downtown. In fact, I had to stop this Asian kid. He was from Korea. I said, how many colleges are down here? He starts naming them all off. I said, how far? He said, there, there, there. They're all down there. But that's the vibe of that city. I'm going to have sex with as many of these girls as I can. Like what, in a day and a half? I mean, do you know who you're talking to, devil? I ain't got time. I'm here for trees, man. There's trees. I'm going to go check out some date palms, what I'm going to do. And a pomegranate and a cedar Lebanon. That's what I'm here for. And a synagogue. If you don't get a hold of your mind, it'll take you. It'll take you. And what's crazy is, or unfortunate, we don't even recognize when it's a demon. The whole woke agenda is a demon. Black Lives Matters, demon. LGBT mindsets, demon. Offense, demon. Unforgiveness, a demon. And it's so convincing. It just subtly comes in there like a tugboat and just bumps up beside you. And before long, you think you're going where you want to go, but you're under the spell. If you'll speak the word and speak the word and declare the word and just, just constantly prune your mind of all this junk, things will start to change. If you don't get a hold of your mind, it will affect your heart, and out of your heart comes your faith. And if you want your faith to work for you, because that's what we're working towards is whatever God has for us, we've got to believe it. You're not going to be able to believe it when your mind is full of weird squirreliness that you think is God or you think is justice or you think is right when it doesn't line up with the Word of God. It becomes very hard to convince people who are squirrely in their head that they're squirrely in their head one of the hardest things in the world to do. Dr. Barclay would tell you the only way to help that person is to get them to submit. But do squirrely people really want to submit? They want to get back in their boat and go out to where they're comfortable. All right, next point. There are many kinds of prayer. Let's look at Ephesians 6. That's where I told you to go, right? Ephesians 6. 6.18. Here's our verse. I'm just giving you points tonight to encourage you to pray, maybe remind you of some things. Your brain is as squirrely as you let it be. And you've got to bring into captivity every thought. And if you do not, it'll silence your mouth and you'll be weird and that'll get into your heart. It'll taint your heart and that'll taint your faith. And you'll have faith all right, but it won't be pure faith. It'll be a feigned faith. It'll be a perverted faith. It'll be a contaminated faith. We're watching a lot of preachers right now lead their churches astray as part of the great falling away. And they're in total faith doing it. They believe it is the will of God to ordain LGBT. They believe it is the will of God to do what? Something other than preach the gospel and make disciples? Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all manner of prayer. Praying always with all manner of prayer. So let me give you the nine types of New Testament prayer real quick. You won't learn this in a Calvinistic circle, because whatever will be, will be. Again, Calvinists, thank God, they are strong on many things. They're strong on holiness. They're strong on righteousness. They, they like election a lot, but they're not strong on prayer, and they're 
they're almost, almost non-existent on demonology and angelology. You would almost say they have no experience in the spirit realm, which the Bible says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities. So if the number one thing I'm wrestling with is not the natural, but the supernatural, why would I want to be ignorant of it? Because case sirrah, sirrah. So here are your nine types of New Testament prayer. Intercessions, petitions, supplications, prayer of faith, prayer of agreement, prayer of consecration, giving of thanks, groanings, travails, and tongues. Read it to you again. Intercessions, petitions, supplications. You could make an argument that petitions and supplications are similar. It depends on the Greek word you're looking at and how you want to translate it. One is a petition for you. One is a supplication for the other. But uh, prayer of consecration, prayer of faith, prayer of agreement. So those are three different types of prayer. Prayer of consecration. Honestly, we should pray every day. Lord, not my will, your will be done. Prayer of faith. That's James 5. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. Prayer of agreement. That's Matthew's gospel. If two of you shall pray as concerning anything, I will do it for you. That is the prayer of agreement. Pray as touching anything in agreement. It's a prayer of agreement. Giving of thanks. That's something we ought to do every day as well. Thank you, Father, for another day. Thank you for letting me see the sunrise. Thank you for healthy legs that get me out of bed. Thank you, Father, for air conditioning that worked all night long. Thank you, Lord, for a car to go to my job in. Thank you for my job. I mean, really, thanksgiving is infinite unless you're American. Then it's all about, well, I'd be more thankful if. Huh. No, we got to be thankful where we're at. And then you have groanings and travailings, which we won't get into. But know that that is a New Testament. Paul said, I travail till Christ be formed in you again. And then the groanings of the Spirit, that's uh, Romans 8, groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, Lydia, when she was four, she told me she knew everything there was to know about prayer. And I said, really? She said, really? I said, what do you know about groanings? She said, what do you want to know about groanings? <laughs> I said, what do you know about groanings? She said, it's like a flower when you plant it and you water it and it groans. <laughs> Fair enough. But that still is nothing. You know nothing about groanings. <laughs> if you've ever experienced groanings in the spirit, it will concern you because you don't know what's happening. You'll think there's something wrong with you. The first time I was experiencing groanings in the spirit, I thought I was casting a demon out of me. And then I realized it was just my spirit man convulsing in intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. I was under a bridge in Gary, Indiana. And I thought, oh my God, what is happening to me? Come out of me, come out. Like, is, it, is that it? Oh, I was like, what is this? What is going on? I called Pastor Vaughn. I don't know if I'm casting a demon out of me or what. He's like, I can't answer you because I'm not there. I can't judge it. Oh, judge something, judge something. I'm groaning. <laughs> you need somebody to walk you through this stuff because you know you're not crazy. I'm doing a geology job. I'm not crazy. Why is the Spirit of God dealing with me now? <laughs> in Gary, Indiana. Michael Jackson's an idiot. I don't want to go back to Gary, Indiana. It's a song if you don't know. <sighs> And then tongues. And then honestly, in tongues, you do all of the above. Give thanks, intercede, groan, travail. Uh, 
So all kinds of prayers. So that just means we ought to be doing a lot of praying. And we just thought prayer was now laying me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What? Keep and take my soul? That's a horrible prayer to pray. There's no faith in that. If I should die before I wake. You'll give your six-year-old that kind of prayer? You might die tonight, sweetie. Which stuffed animal you want to be buried with? One of the things we say about prayer is that it is designed to accomplish God's will in the earth. Mark, Pastor Mark Brzee has an awesome book I recommend called Processing the Plan of God Through Prayer. John Wesley said, it seems as though God can do nothing unless we pray it. That will offend a Calvinist to the core. John Wesley, one of the greatest revivalists our nation has ever known, a tongue talker, demon casting out revivalist, he said, it seems... To him, he was a prayer warrior greater than anybody in the present day. It seems as though God can do nothing except his servants pray. Because prayer is processing the will of God. Now, here's the thing you have to understand about prayer and the will of God. The Bible teaches us in Galatians 2 that you can frustrate God. Do you know why you frustrate God? Because you cause him to not get what he wants. Does that not frustrate you when you don't get what you want? Galatians 2.24 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. So if we can frustrate God, one of the number one ways we do it is by not allowing him to accomplish his will. Again, if you're a Calvinist, this is like nails on a chalkboard, heresy hissing. But it's scripture. Prayer processes the will of God. Remember James 4 says, you have not because you... Well, according to the Calvinists, I have not because God doesn't want me to have. But James contradicts the Calvinist. So I think I'll go with the Apostle James. James says you have not because you ask not. And so part of prayer is asking of God that his will would be accomplished. Um, Amos tells us, Amos is a chapter 6. Amos says that God does nothing except he reveal it first to his servants, the prophets. We know they then go on to declare it. So prayer processes God's plan, and without prayer, God's will. We sh I might say this. Uh, without prayer, a lot of God's will will be frustrated. What happens if the Lord lays on your heart a burden to pray for your neighbor and you don't pray for your neighbor? If God can get what he wants without asking you to pray, why did he ask you to pray? Is he bored? If he doesn't need you, why did he ask to use you? So please understand me. We pray because it harnesses the presence of God. We pray because when we bend our heart, whether we bend our knees or not, whether we bow our head or not, when we bend our heart and say, oh Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask this of you, it brings the presence of God into a situation. And Jesus said over and over again in John 14, 15, and 16, ask that your joy may be filled. Whatsoever things you desire, that's Mark 11, hey, believe that you receive it, you'll have it. A lot of this is based upon our, our desires and the things we ask of God. Things aren't changing in our life because we're not asking for God to change them. Things are not changing in our life because we won't spend time in prayer until they do change. We cannot keep coming to church hoping for a different outcome. 
This Christian walk takes a labor. A Corinthians says, contend for the faith that was once delivered. Contend. Contend. That means you've got to fight for it. Look at Ezekiel 22. Let's, let's turn there real quick. Let's look at a couple of verses. You learning anything? This is a lot of basic stuff, in my opinion. It may not be basic to you. And so I don't, maybe I'm insulting you. Maybe I'm stretching you. Calvinism, what I would call extreme Calvinism, is seeing a resurgence. And there are, some, there are many facets of it that are just downright heretical. They're just wicked. And the whole concept that everything is foreordained and nothing can be turned in prayer. Uh, I've even heard some Calvinists say, I don't even share the gospel anymore because if God wants them saved, they'll be saved. We don't have time to go into all the fallacy and perverse merits of such a sentiment. But I, I can tell you this. I've never learned anything about prayer from a Calvinist. Because the philosophy of God's in charge, he's going to do what he's going to do, automatically lends itself to, well, then there's no sense in praying. Except what about all the scriptures where men of God interceded and God changed his mind? Ezekiel 22, verse 26. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. Sounds like Christian television. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar seeing vanity and uh, divining lies unto them, saying, Thus says the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken, you know that's Christian television, false prophecy. The people, that's me beating up on charismatics, by the way, just so the pro-Calvinists don't feel like I'm pigeonholing them. We're equal opportunity offenders and attackers here. I'll even attack my own self and my own upbringing. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yes, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. This is the most famous of all intercessory prayer scriptures. We call it standing in the gap. We know this is not a literal wall being built around Jerusalem because a literal wall will not present, prevent uh, um, Pharaoh Nico or any of the judgments from coming. This is a prayer wall. This is the same thing Lucifer saw in the book of Job when he said, hey, look, there's a hedge about Job and I can't violate it. God says there's all this wickedness among my people and I move throughout the land to find an intercessor, a man, someone, just one, that would make up the hedge to prevent the judgment and I couldn't find one person to pray. So this tells us two things. Number one, the, the justice of God, not your social justice malarkey, the real justice of God says I'm going to wipe wicked people out. But the mercy of God says, if I can find an intercessor, I won't. Mercy rejoices against judgment. But in order for God to get what he wants, which is mercy, he has to have mankind's cooperation. And he couldn't find a single person to pray. 
verse 31, Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Nobody said mercy, Lord. Nobody said, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, O God. Have mercy, O God. Nobody said it. Have mercy, O God. Therefore God had to execute wrath and judgment. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, says the Lord God. Here's an instance where God did not get what he wanted and man was to blame. God's wrath got what God wanted, but God's mercy did not. And the New Testament tells us that mercy rejoices against judgment. God would always rather give mercy, but someone has to ask for it. They got not because they asked not. What is it you need in your life? Ask God. What is it you need in your life? Ask God. Amen. All right, you're quiet. James 4, 3, we said you have not because you ask not. Let's look at Luke 11. Keep asking. Keep asking. Now, (laughs) those who are ignorant of prayer get hung up on one scripture and say, well, the Bible says do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. And yet Jesus Christ also said, ask and keep asking. So obviously there's a difference between a vain repetition that heathens use, like an incantation, or say, I don't know, a Hindu mantra. (laughs) Namaste. (laughs) Yeah. Namaste go in Jesus' name, not namaste. (laughs) Luke 11, verse 5. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is in it, in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will say from uh, within, shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity... He will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, ask, and the Greek says, and keep asking, and it shall be given you. Is God a liar? Is this a true promise? Seek and keep seeking, and you shall find. Knock and keep knocking, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, but According to this parable, the guy had to keep knocking and keep asking. Let me in. And, he, and Jesus uses the word importunity. I, I like to always teach on that. It means shameless persistence. This is a parable about prayer. Shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. To be transparent with you, there's some things my wife and I are believing God for. And sometimes we say, Lord, I know you hear me. Lord, we talk to you about this every night. Lord, I know you hear us. And Lord, it's really weird how quiet you are on this subject. When you will deal with me about everything else, you'll deal with me about stuff I don't care about. And this is the one thing I talk to you about. That's shameless persistence. Lord, speak to me about this. Lord, I just want you to know I'm burning all my prayer time on this one thing. Lord, I must have it. But I know he's quiet on purpose. He's not stupid. He's doing it on purpose. He's making my dumb roots go deeper because I'm in a drought of answered prayer. He'll talk to me about you guys all day long, and I'm tired of you guys. So get your life right so he can talk to me about me. (laughs) 
Lord, I'm not even talking to you about Jeff. Why are you talking to me about Jeff? I'm talking to you about my family. Fix my family. <laughs> Shameless persistence means extremely persistent, stubborn, resolute, holding tenaciously to a purpose, urgent or persistent in solicitation, sometimes annoyingly so. That's the Greek for importunity. Urgent or persistent in solicitation, sometimes annoyingly so. You can't just go hide in the back bedroom because that guy's not going away. Or we can walk by sight like denominations do. Well, I, I asked God for a week. He never answered. It must not be the will of God. I had to believe God for five years before I saw the warts on my foot, both feet and my elbow, and creeping up my forehead disappear in a matter of days. For five years, they got worse. I sought God, confessed the word, prayed, spoke the word for five years before the planter's wart mosaic the size of a silver dollar on my left heel went away and the warts were spreading everywhere. Five years. If I had believed faith and prayer like a denominational person had taught me, I'd have given up after the first week. Must not be the will of God. We quit so easy. I quit so easy. We're going to have to find some of this shameless persistence. Solicitation that sometimes is downright annoying. But is this not the parable put forth to teach us to pray? Ask and keep asking. Do you ask with your mind? Do you knock with your mind? This is all noisy, disturbing. If a son asks bread of you, of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? He's teaching us about prayer. When you ask God for what you need, he gives you what you ask for. Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Look at Luke 18. I just want to build your faith to be persistent. God gave us, for whatever reason, I, I don't, I don't, I maybe very rarely have given us an assignment quite like this as a pastor to pray 30 minutes a night or a day as a husband and wife or to find a prayer partner. And you can do that, and maybe you can't pray every day with your prayer partner, but for every one of us to pray 30 minutes a day on whatever in our life needs to change, whether it's healing, whether it's relationship, whether it's money, whether it's mental health, whether it's your ministry calling, maybe you're prodigal, maybe you want another baby, whatever it is, the fact that God is saying, seek me on it means he wants to give it. What if, let me stretch your Calvinist mind, I was predestined to, what if <laughs> he can't, he can't give it unless you seek him? He just said, if you don't ask, he can't give. If they ask an egg, do you give him a rock? If you ask a fish, they give you a scorpion? He answers the asking. You don't ask, you have not because you... So maybe he can't give until you ask. And then at the same time, his scripture says, sometimes you have to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. Not that he didn't hear you the first time, but like Daniel, the angel said, I was sent for your word 21 days ago. And I got caught up in the heavens with the prince of Persia. That's a little trippy, but that gets into a little unknown studied subject called angelology. 
and demonology. So how many of our prayers do angels come for? We know in the Revelation, the Lord has vials that contain our prayers. So there's substance to them. The words of our mouth. There's a lot more to all this than just, now I lay me down to sleep. Luke 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable, a parable unto them to this end. Here's the whole purpose of the parable. That men ought always to pray and not quit, not faint, not give up. The parable said, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Give me this. This is what I want. You have not because you ask not. And he would not for a while. Is that after one asking, two askings, six months, six years? But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me. One asking isn't trouble. Once a week may not be trouble, but this little widow knew how to irritate this judge. And he saw her coming, and it was trouble for him. And it was so much trouble for him, it was just easier if he just waved his hand and gave her what she wanted. And this is the example the Lord is using for us to pray and not give up. Hear me again. We give up way too easily. Let me also say this. We can very easily pray 30 minutes a night, and it's like sawing with spaghetti arms. Anybody ever used a saw before? Okay, you can raise a spaghetti arm and say yes. All right. Hand saw, not a chainsaw, not a skill saw, hand saw. You can saw like a sissy, or you can put both hands into that thing and a leg and get that thing cut three inches every stroke. I would be willing to bet some of our prayers are limp-wristed sissy, and we're just setting a timer because, you know, that's how EWC rolls. But just, you know, going through the motions here because it's what pastor said to do, and we're going to do it so he can get off our back. But when you put your back into prayer, it's not quiet. It's not passive. You, you look at your watch, 45 minutes have gone by, and you're on a roll. You can't shut this thing down now. What if we go another 15 or 20? Hey, man, we're going to get this thing sooner. Please hear me. You can pray like you want to be in the Olympics, or you can pray like a fat, beer-bellied frat boy working out six weeks before spring break, which means nothing. Every one of us will... Some of you go to the gym, and you've seen those guys that just walk around, and they're there for an hour and a half, and they can say, technically, I've worked out four hours this week for the last three years. Oh, yeah, and you look like that? Yeah, you don't work out. I've prayed 30 minutes a day for the last six weeks. And your life is the same? Yeah, you didn't pray. You had a point in time and you mumbled some words, but you didn't cut any wood. You didn't lose any weight. You didn't put on any muscle. So let me just give you that word of warning. If we're going to do this, you make sure you waste no, no time in these prayer times. 
You get in there, you and your spouse, your prayer partner, you know what it's for. It's an appointed time. We're not lollygagging. We're not playing games. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, we need your help. We're believing you for this, 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 and this. You say be specific. Bring your requests. Make them known unto God. This is my request. Lord, your word says. Lord, your word says. Lord, your word says. Lord, you said to Joshua. You said to Jeremiah. Lord, you healed Naaman. You healed the leper. You healed. And you just go at it. For long, you've deforested the whole hillside, and you're looking for something else to cut down. And you've lost your fraternity beer gut. <laughs> this widow troubles me. I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. This woman was not intimidated by this corrupt judge. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. So what's faith? Getting in the presence of God and asking for what you want over and over and over and over and over again. That's the whole point of the parable. You have not because you ask not. And you don't give up because you didn't get anything the first 32 days. You keep asking, you keep praying, you keep interceding, you keep supplicating. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6. This may be our last verse. And I'll give you one more after this to encourage you. Because I want us to get after it. God wants our church to be better as he does every church. He wants us to be further come 2022 as he does every church. You know, as a, as a parent, you don't like anybody talking bad about your kids but you. But I have to say, it doesn't bother me that my God and our God would make fun of us to Jeff Harris and criticize us. This church is a, is a driven church. It's easy to drive. It just isn't self-driven. That's an insult. It's the truth. But it is an insult. But I guess we're his kids, so he has a right to insult us, correct us, rebuke us, expose us. That's his reputation and our, our, our reputation in his eyes. When the Lord thinks about engrafted word church, he says, yeah, they're just not self-driven. So that's kind of like the Lord visiting the seven churches of the apocalypse. I know thy works. I know thy testimony. I know that thou have garments. I know thy labor. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I have somewhat against you. You're not self-motivated. That's a, another way of saying you're lazy. Should we teach on that? Have we taught on that? Have we taught against it? I guess that's still our reputation. Dr. Cephas taught a message years ago, how to beat laziness when you're lazy. Hebrews 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work. Work. Oh, work. So you mean you're supposed to do something. Were you predestined to do that? Okay, sirrah, sirrah. And labor. 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 So it means you're supposed to do something, or was it destined or not destined? Case sera, sera. Labor of love, which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister, past tense and present tense. 
work and labor. That means you should be doing something other than just taking notes for services a week. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence. Those are three kind of verby words. They, they show forth effort, action, initiation, initiative. Um, they're going to have a little bit of energy behind them because, you know, our church is driven and it's easy to drive. It's just not self-driven. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you be not grace-filled, that you be not consumed of your predestination. And if I do nothing, it's because I was destined to. And, you know, God's will be done. And No. That you be not lazy, shiftless, feckless, slothful, but followers. Wait, wait, man, this is a lot of work. Work, labor, diligence, follow. Followers of them who through faith and patience, faith and patience inherit the promises. So one of the things we do, I told you I'd give you one more verse, an encouraging one. We get around people who are hotter for God than us. I keep saying this. You get around people that are world overcomers. You get around people that are victorious. If you have money troubles, get around people who are good with money. If you've got sick issues, get around families that are healthy. If you're kind of lackadaisical and flippant, get around folks that are diligent and driven. If you're lazy and uncoordinated, get around folks that are hardworking and focused. If you're, if you're just, you know, you're poorly organized and you lack excellence, get around somebody who's super organized and just like really excellent and let them rub off on you. These are tools we can do to improve it. If you don't know how to pray, and some of you still don't, get around people that pray good. And then get in your car and practice praying that way. Practice finding a voice. Practice being bold in prayer. Practice praying scriptures. We, we have so many prayer services around here. There's no reason to let a lack of confidence or self-esteem keep you from being a prayer warrior, not a prayer librarian. Prayer librarian. We don't want prayer librarians. A librarian. You know, just the quiet as a little meek, little, eh, little marm, push up your glasses, little bun. You know, not really sure if you're Victorian, if you fell off the uh, little house on the prairie wagon, or if you're like a, a Mormon on the bandwagon. I, you know, yeah, that's a prayer warrior, not a prayer librarian. Bold, confident, declare. You say, I curse you to hell, devil. I curse you sickness. I curse you lack. I declare my family serves God. I declare my reprobate, abject prodigals are miserable in their little hellhole till they repent. Let the goodness of God be a carrot for that stupid little donkey mindset of theirs and let them come out of that cesspool seeing the goodness of God. I command them to come up out of that. I command them to repent. I command prosperity to come to me because I need to pay these bills. I command my babies to be healthy. This, these are things that belong to you. Let me ask the Calvinist. Does the police officer get behind somebody and just hope they're predestined to pull over? Well, Lord, you know, you know all things, even the hairs of my head. And you know, Lord, if they just did 120 through a work zone, hit three construction workers. And you know, Lord, I think if they were predestined, they'd eventually pull over. Certainly they can see I'm behind them. 
Or maybe they're so hopped up on meth, they don't see anything. They're chasing unicorns. <laughs> Mr. Zip's riding one of them. They're coming after him. No, that cop says, I have authority and authorization. He flips on his lights. If that doesn't do it, he flips on the siren. If that doesn't do it, he gets on the radio. We get helicopters. We get little rumble strips. He's going to enforce his authority to stop wickedness. How come Calvinists can't see that? They have authorization, use it. And if a cop doesn't use his authorization to enforce the law, he's no peacekeeper, he's no peacemaker, he's no law enforcer. The same thing for us in the spirit. Get around people who aren't like you and learn to be like them. Be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right, 1 John, last two verses. These are the encouraging ones. I might tell you to go through the Psalms. Couple, there's about 25 or 30 Psalms or so. That might be a good prayer assignment or study assignment. And underline or just make a little list of every psalmist where David said, Oh God, you heard me. Oh God, you hear me. You hear me. Part of our lack of faith sometimes is we pray and we don't think God hears us. Anybody ever feel that way? Sure, me too. And yet when we think something dumb, wicked, or perverse, we know he knows those thoughts. Now think about that. We know he knows those thoughts, but we don't think he hears our prayer. We have more faith in his ability to know our thoughts that we don't even want to be thinking, but we're sometimes reluctant to believe that he heard what we cried out in prayer in Jesus' name at the altar in our prayer time with heartfelt emotions and tears. We're not sure he heard that, but we know he heard those thoughts. See how crazy our faith is? We've got to get better at this. 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence... Now, that's good right there. We can underline that. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, you have to ask. We've seen that three or four times tonight. You have not because you ask not. That if we ask anything according to his will. Now, how do we know his will? From the Bible. What happens if we ask according to his will? He hears you. What? So all you have to do is ask according to his will, and he promises, I hear that. So that's why we pray scripture. And so it doesn't stop there, John. Look at that little colon. It means move on to the next verse. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, I pray that one a lot. Lord, I know you hear me because this is your will. And if I know that you hear me, then I know I have the petitions I desire. So this is a verse you can kind of use as like kind of the icing on your prayer cake. Father, I know you hear me because I've prayed nothing but scripture for 30 minutes. Lord, I know that when I speak the word of God, it, it ripples the spirit realm. It stirs the atmosphere. It gives the Holy Ghost something to do. That offends people there as well. But you know, the Holy Spirit didn't do anything over the face of the deep in Genesis 1-2 until the Lord said, let there be. And when the Lord said, let there be, the Holy Ghost goes from hovering into moving. 
I wonder how many things the Holy Spirit is hovering over in our life, the darkness, the void, waiting for us to declare light to it. And we're not God, so it doesn't happen in a day. But do think, do think, it took a full day to make plants. It took a full day to make beasts of the field. It took a full day to make light. It took a full day to make firmaments. And that's with God speaking. So don't get it bent out of shape if it takes you longer than a day to move a little mountain. But you keep speaking to it and it will change.